Hello and welcome to another episode of Another Brother Podcast. Today is a special episode because it might as well be called Another Sibling Podcast. We're joined here today by our sister, Danielle. Hi, uh, it's Danny here. So today we're talking about all things stress and stress management. So this is a pretty common thing, like we're all going through stress at some point in our lives. So it can be useful to to know some strategies on how to cope with that. And of course, we're not experts, but this these are just our kind of two cents on the issue. Andrew, you want to start us off with a story here? How about like when you were going off to university and you were stressed about not knowing what program to go to? Yeah, so I think a lot of kids go through similar levels of stress when they're going from high school to university or even in high school because what kid knows what they want to do for the rest of their life at such a young age like they haven't experienced too much and for the things that they did experience they experienced just as or like the same things that every other kid has so they don't really know what they like and they don't know what their passions are so for me I did one of those career cruising things as most kids do in school and even doing those questions you can kind of see what answers and what uh, responses you'll get just from the questions that they ask. So I think that kind of skewed me and somehow I ended up getting orthodontist and corporate lawyer and corporate lawyer just wouldn't work for me at all because I don't like to read and that... But you considered it. Yeah, and just reading that material, it would just be very dry and it would never stick. I don't think it would be the right career choice for me, but I did... How is that any different from like the CPA readings and like laws and taxes and stuff like that? Is that not dry? Yeah, I'll get to that. But anyway, orthodontics was something I was seriously kind of considering in high school. And I went up to grade 12, like taking all the courses that I needed to. And I did grade 12 chemistry and then I hated it. And I just realized that it wouldn't be for me. So in grade 12, a couple months before applying to schools, I'm like, well, I really don't know what I want to do now. So that stressed me out. And then in applying to schools, you normally get three choices, but I applied to five because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I applied to various different programs like business, engineering, computer science, kind of just across the spectrum. But I knew I didn't want to do science just because I I wouldn't have liked it at all. And in hindsight, I... Well, I ended up going into a businessy program, and in hindsight, I think it was the best choice for me out of the options that I presented to myself. And yeah, I I don't regret the choice that I've made, and I think it works well for me, but I feel like it could have gone very differently. It just kind of got lucky, I guess, and I just rolled with the punches. But I think a lot of kids go through that, and it is a stressful time in their lives because they don't know what they're going to do. Like, how do you decide what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're so young. Um, But going back to your point, Danielle, um, CPA readings, are they not dry? Tax stuff, are they not dry? Well, let me just start by saying tax readings are drier than the Sahara Desert. (laughs) And drier than the Sahara Desert filled with silica gel packs. Um, I don't recommend to anyone to read any, like, tax handbook readings. I honestly have never... Um, and even during the CFE, which is like the final exam for CPA, even people who are in the tax role, like writing the tax portion of the exam, it's recommended that they don't even look at the tax uh, handbook because it is so dry and in-depth and confusing. And say you'll read 
for example, section 4.1. And then you'll read section 4.1, but then it'll lead you to section 8.2. And then 8.2 will lead you to 9.3. And then 9.3 to section 72A, B, C, section I, subsection 3. Like, you're going to need to read the whole thing to understand, like, a just one topic. So you just go down a rabbit hole, and it's just not the most interesting thing to read. And also, don't the tax standards change every year? Yeah, well, because some people will like come up with loopholes and try to gain the tax system, and then the CRA will try to close it off, and they'll like figure it out, and they'll figure it out like the year after, and they'll try to close off those loopholes because they want the money, and they don't want people to game the tax system and do aggressive tax planning. But yes, even like the accounting standards, um, those are also dry. I wouldn't say they're as dry as tax stuff and they you don't really go down quite a huge rabbit hole. But I mean, I think with any professional career, I guess, some of the readings can get a little bit dry, but I think it would be even more so for law and I just wouldn't be able to do it personally. Kudos to people who can and power to them. Yeah, I couldn't be a lawyer for the same reason. I, I hate readings. Um, I don't really do them in engineering. I just get taught and I basically never look at my textbooks and maybe I should, but I don't. It's, a, it's kind of a crazy system that we make people who are so young and literally they have to ask to go to the bathroom and they have to make a huge life decision on like what they want to do for the rest of their lives. It's just kind of bonkers, but it's also, I mean, I can't think of a better system. It still kind of sucks. So I think there's one thing that the two of you are kind of discounting and maybe it's because you're younger and you don't have as many midlife friends as I do, but a lot of people actually do change their careers middle of their life, right? Whether it's because our careers are 40 plus years long and doing one thing for 40 years is a long time or they kind of reach their career ceiling, like they get to the vice president role in some marketing department, for example, and there's no hire they can go in marketing and they have to do something else if they want to learn and grow and whatnot. That I don't think choosing your life at 18 is actually realistic, right? You're choosing the next foreseeable future, sure, but that doesn't mean you can't like back out yeah, of it. that's true. Right? Um, when I was going to school, we were um, looking at different engineering schools and mom was really pressuring me um, to try to pick the, I guess, Western program, which was um, a combined engineering and medical degree, right? Because I had wanted to go into medicine at the time. That would have been stressful. It would have been a lot of work. It would have been really difficult. It's seven years of school, right? Do I regret not taking that? I don't know. It in some ways would have let me have an engineering career and a medical career, right? Um, Whereas now I only have an engineering career unless I want to go back to school or figure out what my choices are later. But I still picked an engineering degree that was more broad and I don't feel like I've actually closed off that many doors. And dad used to say this a lot, but like school isn't to teach you the material necessarily, right? School is there to teach you how to learn. But yeah. if, if you've figured that out, like, okay, whatever, you're 35 and you want to not do whatever you're doing anymore, um, you can. Oh, actually, what uh, was your career compass thingy 
like what was the job suggested to you Nathaniel when you did that in like careers class I mean see the thing is you can kind of tell which questions will lead to which jobs at least to a a certain degree which questions will lead to which type of jobs and so I was kind of biased and I would kind of target the answers to those questions to give me the jobs that I wanted to show up I thought the same thing my result was funny though I'll get there in a second what was yours but I got things like mechanical like mechatronics engineer I got I don't know I feel like probably like computer scientists and I don't even know there's probably other stuff that like works with your hands like carpenter or something I don't know I can't entirely remember I remember there was some engineering um so I can't remember the questions that I answered because that would have been like almost 15 years ago but it was a long questionnaire it was took me probably like 20 minutes to complete and I had said things like I like science I like chemistry I like math I like reading I'm not like a pet person all that kind of stuff Um, Because, again, it was an exhaustive questionnaire. And my number one job was... That's a drum roll. (laughs) Pest control. (laughs) Nice. So then in careers class, I had to do, like, a resume and a fake interview and all of that and practice for pest control. And it sucked. I had no interest in being pest control. I still don't want to be pest control. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not for me. Yeah, that's that's funny. It seems like there's probably a problem with their questionnaire or something. Mine seemed relatively accurate. But yeah, I've heard this story of this bug that happened on this questionnaire where like the whole class got the same thing for their number one pick. This was just like some story I heard on the internet, so I don't know how true it is. So I'm not super surprised that it gave you pest control. What was the number one pick? Do you remember? No, I can't remember. Going back to what you were talking about before, Danielle, about like switching your career. And that's like 100% an option. And you shouldn't be stuck thinking that what you choose now is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And you're stuck. And if it's causing you a lot of stress and unhappiness, then you can you can switch. But the issue is that a lot of people in high school truly believe that they need to pick what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. And including myself, you need to pick what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And if you don't, then you're just behind uh, compared to everybody else. And you're not doing as well. And that could cause a lot of stress for a lot of people. I agree. And I think it's kind of how our education system, which includes parents, um, is broken, or at least like not seeing the issues that they're causing right and the generation before us was all about finding one job and having a good pension and stability and you wanted to work for the same company for your entire life if you could like you have you know career minors you have career whatever and they just never moved um they didn't even necessarily get promotions they just had a stable job and that was good because their parents didn't have stable jobs they didn't have quality income or sufficient income right and then Mm -hmm. You kind of teach your kids that, okay, that's something that you need. And then the next generation teaches their kids the lessons they learn from their career and things like that, right? But the job market also evolves. And what was true for your parents may not be true in your generation. Similar to like how I think in our parents' generation, not our parents necessarily were encouraging this, but I felt a lot of this in school of... 
trade schools and colleges are are inferior to university yeah. right yeah. there's no way back you took a college course in this one class you're basically in the college stream you can't take any university level classes in any other subjects you're going to college or trade school and that's it right yeah. but like why does that have to be true why is trade less important why is trade yeah, less sure. useful right or even why is the fact that you're not good at biology mean that you can't be good at math yeah and people talk about like university and college and trades on like a completely different le level and like society um raises university up on like and puts it on a pedestal and then college is like a step below that and trades is even below that but in in reality it doesn't really reflect how successful you might be depending on your definition of success but let's just let's just say for the sake of this argument that you're measuring your success in um your annual income somebody who's who goes to university and studies even if they study something in stem and there aren't a lot of jobs in that field you might be stuck doing research and research generally doesn't pay that well unless it's like a super up-and-coming field but um, a lot of the time it doesn't pay amazing whereas if you go into into the trades and you become a plumber or something like that plumbers make good money and I was always told by like everybody when I was growing up that like, oh, you don't want to be a garbage man. And then I've actually found out that garbage men actually make decent money. So, um, I mean, maybe it's not the, your ideal job because you don't want to be working with garbage and that's like fine, but they can make like a decent living for themselves as well. So you shouldn't only try and limit yourself to, to universities or like those prestigious kind of programs or like STEM programs because you think that society raises them up and it does, but you should just focus on yourself and not what other people want for you. Yeah, I think the, the, the good paying jobs are the ones that people don't want or harder to get to. Like, for example, just like a high paying like executive job. It's not necessarily that people don't want that job, but it's like, it comes with a lot of hours. It comes with a lot of schooling before that. There's a lot of steps that you need to take be to get to that stage. And obviously I'm not comparing executive salaries to like salaries of uh, waste management people, but just going back to your point saying like waste management people get paid a decent amount. There's like some aspect of it that like makes it unappealing in one way or another. Could yeah. be like, the time commitment could be like the smells that you have to deal with, the people that you need to deal with. Yeah, and that's not true in every case because there's definitely crappy jobs out there that pay not well. But um, a lot of the time, jobs that that people don't necessarily want will pay will pay better. So yeah, that's that's one thing. Like choosing your your program that you're going into can cause a lot of stress. But also, even once you're like an analogous kind of um, stress is when you're done your schooling and you want you want to go and get a job it's so easy to think that again like if i get this job then i'm going to be stuck in this kind of job and i've done that so many times and i keep on thinking like a lot of my past jobs have been in software development and i'm like oh i don't i don't know if i if i really want to keep doing software development and if i keep doing that i'm going to be stuck in this software development hole and that i won't be able to get out of and maybe it'll be a little bit more difficult but it's generally it's not like i'm completely trapped and I ha I do I will have other options but not just that it's also just like looking at what your peers what kind of jobs that your peers are getting and so maybe they're getting like really good jobs earning earning six figures um, or high five figures 
and you're thinking like oh why can't i get that or like they they have a job with like really good good benefits and it's so easy to compare yourself and see what everybody else is doing and want the same but it's important to remember that you're not racing them you're just racing yourself as long as you're you're happy with what you've accomplished comparison is a thief of joy bringing us back from the other episode yes from last episode yeah that's not fair i haven't heard the last episode it's not published yet it'll it'll be out soon (laughs) i'm gonna turn this existential a little bit do you think you can choose what you're stressed about um i think to a certain degree because like you can you can kind of direct your stress and so i've heard like people talk about ways of managing your stress in like let's say you're stressed for an exam try and convince yourself that you're excited because uh, like stress and excitement are kind of similar apparently so if you can convince yourself you're excited for this thing then you can kind of flip the stress on its head yeah and you hear that in sports right of like nerves versus adrenaline or whatever but i think that's good stress versus bad stress can you choose to stress out or not stress out over something i think it really just boils down to what you care about and i guess when you're younger it's more so like what your parents care about because it kind of trickles down to you. Uh, you're trying to make them happy. You're trying to please them. You're trying to not disappoint them. So if they care about something and they're stressed out about something, then that's ultimately going to make you stressed about it. But probably later on in life, yeah, I would say that you could choose what you get stressed out about. I think only to a certain extent, though, because um, sometimes you're going to be like so stressed that you you just can't thinking and you can't just be like all right i choose not to be stressed about this anymore right it's it's like it's kind of your whole mindset and your whole outlook on on life that kind of determines what you're stressed about and you can't change that so easily it's over the long the long term so like you kind of have to change your whole the way that you you view everything to to change what you're stressed about and you're never going to be able to fully eliminate it because no matter what your outlook is on life there's always going to be something that stresses you out well, we're not saying, are you, can you eliminate stress altogether? Yeah, but if you can choose what you're, you're stressed about, couldn't you just choose not to be stressed? But I think that's the, like, ascetic lifestyle, right? Of, like, or the nihilistic lifestyle where I don't care about anything. If we're saying that stress comes in the areas that you care about, which is what Andrew had said, and I agree with it, you're probably going to care about something. And if you don't have any care in the world, then I don't think you will be stressed, but... Yeah, I think stress and care is just very closely tied together. Yeah. But yeah, so it's I think it's going to be like a if you're trying to direct what you're stressed about, it's going to be a long process of changing your values and what you care about then. Have you guys ever had any experience with trying to control what you're stressed about? I mean, kind of to what Andrew had said earlier of like, when you're younger, you care about what your parents think. Mom's opinion used to just stress me out all the time of like, what mom thought of me, how she thought I was underperforming, I wasn't good enough in school, I whatever, even if I didn't care about the grades. It wasn't the grade that stressed me out, it was like, what mom was gonna do about it that stressed me out, or what mom was gonna say about it that stressed me out. Yeah, uh, I and mean, I think that's how it is for most kids. But now, sure, I don't get graded, right? I'm working. 
but I don't think her opinion stresses me out anymore. I think we've come to a different place in our like parent-child relationship that yeah, mom can say what she wants and I can take her opinion without being like, <gasps> I'm going to lose sleep over what mom thinks. Oh, yeah, I think that it's generally healthy and like normal course of parent child relationships. Like when you're living at home and you're a kid, you're just doing everything for your parents, I guess. But like when you're on your own, you're living your own life, you're ultimately in the driver's seat of your own career of your own life. And Sure, your parents could have some input and you can kind of choose whether to take it or not or to act on it. And they might have some opinions, but they ultimately know that like they can't control you anymore, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you, like whether you take their advice or not, even if it is in your best interest, they are, I guess, accepting that you're on your own path. I think, though, what I was trying to say was that not only did it cause me stress, but I would often put even more stress on myself for it. Like one example or one story that I kind of have is when I was in high school, mom and dad were both worried about how little time I was spending studying. And dad wanted me to study because I enjoyed the subject and mom wanted me to study for good grades. Um, And I was actually doing neither. Like, I studied in the classes that I liked, but I didn't really care about doing homework or anything like that for anything else. Um, And I would instead spend my time at the pool, right? Whether I was swimming or volunteering or whatever. Um, And we got into a really big fight about it at one point. And my resolution was that I was going to map out and schedule every minute of my day. So, like, I can have 10 minutes for showers. I can you know, eat for 20 minutes, I'm going to study for this long, and it's going to take me 13 minutes on the bus to get from here to here. And like, I literally tried to map out every minute of my life. And then I started stressing about the fact that like, I wasn't meeting my schedule, because I was trying to make mom happy by saying, hey, look, look how much time I'm allotting to homework versus swimming. And then yeah, when I missed it by like a minute or two, I was even more stressed out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just hearing that just stresses me out, because I know that Like, you can't. It's impossible. No matter how hard you try, you can't control every minute of your life. You can't control how how long that bus is going to take. It's not going to take 13 minutes every time. So that in itself just stresses me out, just hearing that. (laughs) Yeah. I think going back to uh, what you said earlier, Danielle, about, like, mom and dad pushing you and, like, having good grades and stuff like that, not all stress is inherently bad, I think. Like, stress is important to, as a kind of motivator, I guess, um, and a kind of call to action. And, like, obviously your parents, they have at least what they think is your best interest at heart. They're not trying to cause you stress, and probably, I can't speak for every parent out there, (laughs) but they're probably not trying to cause you stress, and they're probably just looking out for you and trying to look out for your future. But in the moment, it can cause stress, but that kind of stress and that kind of fear of disappointment kind of pushes you to to improve yourself. And um, I know for a fact that when when mom and dad would push me and say, like, you got to 
do math homework and math contests um, during the summer and start programming or start like doing this or whatever. I didn't really enjoy it at the time, but it taught me a certain work mindset and it put me ahead in terms of like school so I could do better in class and not have to worry so much while I was in class and now I'm pretty grateful for them pushing me. Yep, I remember doing those math contests too and obviously I didn't enjoy them and I was not as good as at them as you guys were. There's three sections to these math contests. Part A, or it got progressively harder and you kind of had to think outside of the box more as you went along. Part A would have been okay for me pretty consistently. Part B I would get through maybe half of it. Part C, I would have no idea how to do. And I remember, I don't know if it really helped me in the long run. Might have just made me feel a little dumb because I, I would do them and I would just like, I don't think I would ever get really better at it or at least not like part C. I would just, I was never able to get any of part C and dad would kind of just have to debrief it with me. But all that stuff would have just, just goes over my head each time. So I don't know. For me personally, I don't know if the math contests and stuff really helped me so much. I don't know if it, maybe it taught me some work ethic, but. Yeah. Because yeah. I was going to say, maybe it didn't help you with your math, but maybe it taught you to like work harder or something in to achieve good results or something like that. Or like to be trying to improve yourself or something. Yeah. I, I think the, I think like personally, I I think I'm a hard worker. I just don't think I always put in the effort that was needed to succeed all the way up until probably grade nine. I didn't put too much effort into school. And I think I hung around some people that also felt similarly towards school. So we we're all kind of feeding off each other's energy and not really pushing each other to do well. And we're just having fun, just fooling around. But I guess mom and dad saw that and switched schools on me, <laughs> which I was obviously not happy about. I was rather upset. Um, but in hindsight, I'm grateful for them for making that decision because obviously I wouldn't have been able to make it as a kid or like to make that decision as a kid. And going to that new school, maybe like take a step back and realize that like, hey, this is my life parents aren't going to be here controlling me and like telling me to study and like helping me complete assignments and get through projects and homework forever. Like I'll need to do it on my own. And if I want to be anything in life, I'm going to have to put in the effort. So I think in grade 10 onwards, it really flipped the switch and switching that school allowed me to kind of see that and allowed me to see that. Yeah. Like I said before, I'm in the driver's seat of my life. So I get to take the wheel and ultimately just decide how I want to live my life, how I, how much effort I want to put into things. I, this is something I hear from a lot of my friends as well. Even like, for example, the ones who, who've been playing an instrument for the last like 17 years of their life or something. And I, I always ask like, did you always want to do this or were you forced to by your parents? And they're like, oh, I was forced to at like at some point, but they all inevitably say that 
they don't regret it and it's something that they enjoy and they're they're glad that their parents pushed them it can cause stress and in the moment but yeah in the long run it ends up helping you so stress isn't always a bad thing the issue is when it goes out of hand when it does get out of hand what are your go-to methods to kind of manage it honestly personally i'm still trying to figure it out with my job there's a lot of stress around this time of year so having my dog and like she kind of forces me to get outside and like take her for a walk because she needs that attention she needs that exercise so that's kind of something that i've been trying out just taking a walk when i'm stressed i guess or just like playing with her i tried the meditation thing and like the deep breaths but like i have the calm app i tried it for a little bit but it didn't really stick for me i don't think i just I don't think I really did it long enough to really see the effects, but I've heard really good things from a number of different people who started to meditate and use the Calm app. Just listen to some soothing music, stuff like that. Focus on the breathing, you know, the basics. But I think for me, taking a walk or playing with my dog. I think the main thing for stress management is common in all of the different techniques that you'll find. I might be a little biased here in that I'm using my memory as opposed to a list of techniques, but I think really all of them are meant to try to counter the fact that you care about this item, right? So it's to try to give you some distance, try to make you care a little bit less so that the stress comes down, right? And of course, you're not actually caring about it less, but you're kind of stepping away from the problem, right? So like when Andrew's getting stressed by his work, going out for a walk is like physically distancing himself from the work. And that's really what that is, whether it's I'm leaving, I'm taking some time to meditate, etc. But my specific strategies depend on what is stressing me out. So like if I am in a, I guess, mental stress spiral, right? Where like I am stressing myself out with my own thoughts and all the questions and the what ifs and all that stuff. I have a few friends that I end up messaging and sometimes they don't answer me for a while, but they usually do um, answer within an hour or so. And it ends up in a multi-day conversation, which I know is a long time if you're feeling acute stress because it's starting to go onto the chronic side, but it's having them be a, like a sounding board, right? And sometimes it might not be that I can talk to them and I might write in a journal or something else, but just putting those thoughts somewhere that are not in my head, right? Of like letting them physically, I guess, leave my body. Whereas if it's a stress from an event that's happening, as in like a tight deadline or something like that, I find that I need more input, not to give output, right? So I'm not sharing my thoughts with people, I'm not writing stuff down, but I'm instead listening to music, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm reading a book, etc. Something that I can kind of like get lost in and then I can come back, right? So sometimes um, my outputs might involve also like just energy, so going swimming, doing those types of things, and kind of an outlet versus an input. I don't know if that made any sense to anybody other than myself. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense. Hey, uh, if you're experiencing stress, at least it's cute. I want to make that joke, but I didn't want to cut you off. What? You said because you said, you said acute, acute stress. stress. Oh. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna jump in and say that joke, but you're on a roll, so I didn't want to jump in and cut you off. 
appreciate it. I probably would have lost my train of thought. I think you did that on your own at the end. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think you're right. It's it's good to just like kind of st- take a step back and gather your thoughts before you kind of jump back into it. Ultimately, I don't really know <laughs> what to do about stress. Talk to a therapist or something. I mean, if it's something that's like constantly plaguing your life. Obviously, if it's if it's like a one and done thing, you don't need to do that, probably. Well, I don't think it needs to be a therapist. I mean, it could, whoever you feel most comfortable talking to. But I think you just, I think it's important to have a support group. Um, yeah. when, you, when you're stressed, I think it's good to talk about these things and just sometimes go on a rant. Just some, have someone to listen to you. They don't need to really say too much back. You just kind of need to get it off your chest, aired out a little bit, and then just talking about it somehow relieves some stress, even though like initially you might think, oh, but if I use that time to rant, I'm like wasting time that I could have used to resolve this issue. But just getting it off your chest helps you clear your mind a little bit so then you can you can have a clear head to work through whatever issues that you're going through. So your brain's just like not as foggy. I think uh, cries are also useful. Like, I don't know if this is actually true. I haven't read any papers on it. I probably should. Um, But I had heard at one point that when you're crying, it's your tears are filled with whatever like neurotransmitter or brain chemical that is in excess, right? So you can cry of happiness and your dopamine is in your tears or you cry of like sadness and whatever the sadness hormone is, um, is in your tears, etc. And it's essentially like the body's way of chemically rebalancing. Um, And I know it's not actually easy to cry, but I also feel like a lot of us hold back from crying sometimes. I had talked to an HR person years ago about how I think a lot of managers in the office don't know how to deal with their employee crying. And she looked at me and was like, what do you mean? Employees don't cry in the office. And I was like, you're kidding, right? Of course people cry in the office. Like stuff happens. You get bad news on your phone. You're stressed out at work. There are going to be people who cry. And like, how do you deal with that? And how do you make space for people to like, even if they go to the bathroom, right? To cry. But like, you can't expect people to leave their humanness at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two things I want to talk about there. So... When you said crying releases like excess dopamine, if tears of joy or whatever, tears of sadness, I wonder if you drank the tears or someone else drank the tears. You <laughs> kind of absorb those emotions. That's interesting. Can you drink dopamine and it'll make you happy? I don't uh-huh. think so. <laughs> I don't think it would get to your brain very effectively. Or what if you what if you injected their tears into your bloodstream or something like that? <laughs> the newest drug. <laughs> Inject happy person tears. Tears. Antidepressant is just inject the tears of a happy person. And then the second thing I want to talk about there was I think it's just hard to deal with someone who's crying that you don't know. Because yeah. like honestly, it's it's kind of sometimes hard to deal with someone who's crying that you do know, and then someone who you don't know that well. Or you might know them at like surface level or you might like work with them. They might be your coworker or whatnot, but you're not like super close. You just don't know how they they cope with their emotions. Like, do you offer them a hug? Is that too forward? Is that inappropriate? Do you just let them cry? Would they get offended if you just let them cry? Do you want to 
talk them through it? Do they even want to talk? Like, it's just awkward because everyone kind of deals with those emotions differently. And I think that's just a tough spot for your management that you're talking about, Danielle. Yeah, I get it. But I think there's a lot of things in life that are difficult. And I unfortunately don't think that that is a good excuse to not try to address the problem. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to find an excuse for them so much. I'm just trying to, I guess, kind of understand their point of view. I'm not saying, obviously, I'm not trying to say leave your humanness at home. Everyone's human and wherever they are. But I'm just, I guess I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Like, I can imagine that, you know, when someone gets laid off, for example, they're likely on the verge of crying if not actually crying and i think Mm -hmm. things as simple as like having a box of tissue and a glass of water handy right okay you can dry your tears but i often find that people are not well prepared for that and like don't know what to do um i've seen times where people continue talking while the person is crying and you're like okay let them finish crying let them like come back to it don't just like ignore the situation and talk over them that just feels weird this just reminds me of at my second co-op our co-worker offered to do a resume critique for me and the other co-op and he was giving some good like feedback but the other co-op started to cry it wasn't like he was giving the coworker was being brutal or anything like that. And the the other co-op, he, he's just like, I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm doing this, but it like sometimes it just happens. And we were just like, so I didn't say anything. Um, I didn't. I had no idea what to say. My coworker was just like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I could be too brutal sometimes. Were you guys all in a room together while this feedback yeah. was happening? Oh. Yeah. He's just like, um, I'm sorry, I could be too brutal sometimes. Like, here's a box of tissues. But then eventually, like, he just was continuing to cry and we i think we asked but we ended up just like leaving him in the room to you know collect himself but i feel so bad tears (laughs) yeah collect his tears but yeah i feel so bad like i i didn't say anything like i had no idea what what to say to him oh man poor guy first of all i think giving someone feedback giving a single person feedback in a group of others is not the best way to deliver that feedback yeah because they they'll they're gonna feel like self-conscious if they're getting even constructive criticism when other people are in the room i think that should be delivered one-on-one personally but yeah going back to everyone's actions yeah it's just you don't know what to do and especially when there's so many people in that room i don't know how many there were say five or six there was only me and the other co-op and the co-workers so three of us Okay. And there's more people. There's actually been studies on this. Like if something happens to one person and there's multiple people there, or the more people that are there, actually, the less likely it is that people will do something because you're thinking like, oh, maybe someone else is more qualified than me to help this person out. And like, maybe someone's better at comforting people when they're sad. That's exactly what was going through my mind because I'm like, oh, I didn't make him cry and I don't know what to say. Like my, my coworker, he's a full-time, he probably knows what to do. So I just let him He's probably seen this before. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and he did do something because he felt like that he was the one who made the other co-op cry, which is probably true. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but so he did say something, but I don't know if it was that effective or the right thing to say. I don't know if there is a right thing to say when somebody's crying. There are definitely wrong things to say. But I don't know if there's like something that is definitively the thing to say when somebody is crying. Yeah, I think going back to 
again, it may have been last episode, might have been an episode in the past, but I don't think there's a perfect right answer, right solution for any problem in this world. There's maybe better things to say to someone who's crying, maybe things that you want to avoid saying, but I don't think there's one golden rule of something to say to someone who's crying, otherwise someone would have figured it out and everyone it would be common public knowledge by now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you're kind of comparing yourself a little bit in that you're saying you're less qualified than other people in the room. But I don't think there's a qualification thing, right? And forget crying or not crying. It's just like, why is any one person better than someone else in the room to deal with any situation, right? Mm -hmm. If the situation's not being dealt with, is it not better for any one person to step in as opposed to trying to silently figure out who the best person is? I think it's also like in the back of your mind, if you want to act, like I'm sure everyone in the room like wanted to act, but then if they felt that like they did act and tried to help the person out, other people would kind of judge them and say like, oh, why'd he do that? He should have done this. Not even necessarily about crying, but for example, if someone like fainted or someone has like a heart attack in a big group of people. And then, like I said, I think there's been studies on stuff like this, but even if like there's like a group of doctors in that bigger group of people, even the doctors will be like hesitant to step in because they'll be like, oh, what if there's another doctor who's gonna like judge me for what I'm doing? Maybe there's like a different approach that I'm not really thinking of and I should have taken that instead. I think the like acting in a high pressure situation when there's that many people, it is just it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. But also, like what you said before, it's not the best to give feedback in a group setting because, yeah, somebody might be thinking that, like, oh, I'm getting a lot of feedback, whereas that person's not getting a lot of feedback, so they're clearly better than I am. So, yeah, it's, it's not the best place to give the feedback, but if you're ever in that situation, then it's still important to not kind of compare yourself to others mm -hmm. like everybody has these different experiences and so it's not it's not always the same like you have a different life you're a different person you, you can't really compare yourself that easily it's like comparing apples to oranges and besides like you may be thinking that like oh that person's so successful and whatever but it really comes down to what you want to define as success and a lot of the time people tend to take their definition of success by what society values because that's kind of the natural thing to do right so like in this western society in in canada at least you tend or a lot of people tend to measure success by the amount of money you earn or the prestige of your job or the university or whatever you went to your grades or yeah just things like that but again these are just things that like our society happens to value and there may be other cultures out there who define success in a completely different way. It's important to kind of step back, I think, and just think about like, am I doing this because I want this? Or am I doing this because this is what society says that I should want? And you can define your own definition for success. Yes, agreed. Definitely in Western society, in a lot of different societies, a lot of countries all over the world, people definitely put earning potential and like annual salary as a key measure of success and like also materialistic things like the house that they live in, the clothes that they wear, the car that they drive, the vacations that they, well, vacations aren't really materialistic, but kind of along the same line, the vacations that they go on, 
the vacation properties that they own, all stuff like this. But it's all just keeping up with the Joan. It's all yeah, sure, superficial. But it's like keeping up with the Jonases. You see someone Joneses? else has some. Oh, sorry. No, Jones. the Jonases. The Jonas brothers. I, I, I like the Jonases. Jonases just doesn't even sound like a real thing. Jonases. Anyway, keeping up with the Jonases. <laughs> yeah, you see someone else have something nice, and you and you also want those same things because you think you think the grass is always greener on the other side. But it all just boils down to whether you're happy, and you need yes. to figure out what you value, which is obviously a very hard thing to do and it comes with time and comes with different experience and you have to live through different things just broaden your horizons figure out what you like figure out what you value invest time and money into those things yeah so it's interesting that you started talking about materialistic things because that reminds me so our society tends to value these materialistic things so much that like all these all these things become like such big status symbols material girl living in a material world material okay go ahead you can leave that in (laughs) (laughs) um so so there are all these status symbols like like a fancy car or like getting these designer products like like Louis Vuitton bags and or like other designer brands and it's just like sometimes people will will get these status symbols when really they they can't even afford it themselves and but they just want to be seen as successful and it's terrible I think that our society pushes people to do this and like they're buying expensive designer things when they could be using that money um, in a more effective way instead of showing off because like if you look at even the richest people in the world almost none of them like Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and like Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos they're not wearing Prada and Gucci and like whatever but they do have other status symbols I guess like giant mansions and cars but yeah, I just think that we shouldn't be putting so much value on those materialistic things because then it just pushes people to value those status symbols instead of things that really they should be valuing. I was just thinking that I don't know if there is that status symbol. I think there's an idea of a status symbol, but I can't actually think of one that is truly a status symbol, right? Because... As much as we talk about like expensive cars or purses or shoes or whatever the actual item is, I think there's a point where once you start looking at someone's annual income or their net worth, you see that it's not actually the top rung that cares about those things, right? So like, is it a status symbol if it's not the rich, rich, rich who have that? Well, it's the idea, yeah, it's the idea of a status symbol, right? You're trying to make yourself seem like you're rich. Yeah, but I think the real status symbol is what they can do with their time, right? So, like, I think the status symbol of having people um, who do work for you, not necessarily employees in a company, but, like, someone that you can ask to run your groceries, someone that you can ask to cook your meals... Those types of things, I think, are probably more true status symbols than, like, things that are on your person. I guess. Maybe. But they're also not not things that you can really show off that easily. Exactly, yeah. And it's all about outward appearance these days. 
people see the the car you drive in, people see the clothes you're wearing, people don't see that you have someone else doing grocery shopping for you. I think this is largely driven by capitalism. And Instagram. Like- oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> because they want you to be like, oh, you got to show off your flashy things so that you buy more stuff. And it's just pushing the consumeristic values on people so that they, so that the companies can get richer and richer. This is kind of off topic from stress now, but. You know how you know you made it though? You shop at Whole Foods and you don't worry about the bill. Or you You're at a fancy restaurant and you don't look at the prices. You're at a fancy restaurant and you don't look at the prices. Yeah. Again, that all relates to money. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if these that's, Western values. I don't know if that's true though. Because you could argue that someone who's buying like a Prada pair of shoes isn't really caring about how much it costs either, right? Because the status is being able to go to that thing and not care. Yeah, but if you're going to a restaurant, you don't have a... It's not really much of a... I guess it is, but... Like, well, are you going, going by to, yourself? No, you're going to this fancy restaurant with people, usually. Okay, but if you go to Whole Foods, you're not... It's not like you're going with a bunch of people and you're... And you no, but you're walking down bill. the street with your Whole Foods grocery stuff and everyone's seeing that you went to Whole I, Foods, right? I guess. I guess. I, I don't know how many people just shop at Whole Foods, though, because they want to be seen shopping at Whole Foods. I agree, but I'm just saying <laughs> that I think all of these things, like, it's a mental barrier as opposed to, like, an actual financial milestone. Yeah, yeah, because there are people who, who don't care too much about about money, and so they'll just they'll just go to whatever restaurant and not look at the prices i guess it'd be funny to see someone who like normally brings in reusable bags to their grocery stores but then doesn't at whole foods just so they can show off their whole food plastic bags flash them around i felt like i made it the first time i got paid because i could buy myself books but like it was my very first paycheck i definitely didn't have it made i was 16 right but like and i blew the whole thing on books mom was so mad (sighs) When you get your first paycheck, it's a magical moment. I saw this thing online back in the day when I used to be on social media. But um, it's like when you're a kid and you receive like 20 bucks for Christmas, you like think you're bawling out. You think you're so rich. And then you get a little bit older and you get your first job and then you get your first paycheck. And it's not a lot of money, but it's like more money than you've ever really seen in your life. And you again, you think you're bawling out. And then in college, that same amount of money is just like, okay, uh, I mean, I could go get some drinks with this, I could go get dinner, that's cool. And then when you're older, just like, well, I'm poor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't even think that first paycheck that I had, though, was like the most amount of money I had gotten in one shot, right? Like, my first paycheck was not a huge sum, because I was working like a... $12 job I had probably only worked a few hours right I probably got more as like Christmas presents once upon a time but I think there was something about like I did this as opposed to someone gave it to me that I was like haha I'm successful now there you go there you go that should be your definition of success where you earn it yourself and even if it's just a little bit just be happy with yourself there you go just act like every paycheck is your first paycheck Actually, maybe not, because then, because then you might spend it all. But you know, yeah, just feel, yeah. just feel as happy. Buy a house 
or a house full of books, that's it. And also the moral of the story is when you cry and you're happy, save those tears. Yeah. Save those tears for another day. Save your tears for another day. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's what he's talking about. Is. Oh yeah. shit. He found out before we did. Wait, yeah, who, he's who been is injecting this? his what song tears is this? This is the, the weekend. weekend. Okay. Yeah. Wow. There you go. He's been that's injecting crazy. his tears. That's how he that's how he stays so happy. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this podcast and tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate your support and thank you to Danielle for chiming in to our discussion and contributing. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you on and see you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Ciao.